Hello, wonderful people. How are you? How's everything going? Let me adjust my audio really quick because I am trying something a little bit new and I don't want to sound blown out like this. So, let me try something else. Also, I gotta get rid of my gum because that's gonna be gross. Just a moment. Let me try this tonight. Gotta decide if my audio sounds better, worse. Hmm. Try that. That's option A. And this is option B. I think I sound a little bit smoother like this, but it doesn't catch quite the same. I don't know. I think it's smoother this way. Um, I'll probably do some messing around between chapters and go ahead and try the new stuff out for the next one. But I think this is a little bit better for, for our purposes tonight. Yeah, I'll go with this. Keep it, keep it consistent. Keep it like we normally do it. All right. So, uh, Austin, how's it going? Heather, ah, Heather, <laughs> good to see you. Welcome to your first live one. Uh, it's a good one to catch. This is the finale of this book. We've got there. We've got there ourselves. <laughs> um, I think it's going to be a great stream tonight. Um, I'm very pleased that you're here. And as usual, we're going to go through our, uh, our little routine. I'm going to go over the, uh, essentially the review of what happened during the last stream. And then um, we're going to start on chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 21. And then a uh, quick break and then chapter 22. All right. Um, looks like I gotta mess around with this for a second. Let me just, I gotta adjust some things. Let me hit the defaults here. Um. Let me see. How does that look in the main bit? It looks decent. I think uh, I think we're gonna stick with it. The problem is, as you can see, when I get back here, looks fantastic. When I move up to the front, um, not quite as good, but I think we'll roll with it. It's gonna be fine for tonight. Now, let's take a look at the last chapter, shall we? Um, last two chapters, the ones we read last week, that's going to be chapters 19 and 20. So, we started with uh, the sudden appearance of Snape in the Shrieking Shack. Um, as you remember, uh, Sirius Black is there, Lupin is there, Harry, Ron, Hermione are there, and Scabbers the Rat is there. They've got Sirius Black. Um, they've been having this conversation between uh, Harry and essentially Lupin and Sirius Black and and Harry's been learning quite a bit that is in fact Peter Pettigrew, the long lost friend of Harry's father and uh, ultimately the, the friend who betrayed him. Just a moment, we've got some, we've got a bit of an issue here. 
Okay, Rachel's here. Good, okay. My heart. I just wanted to make sure that I didn't uh, communicate incorrectly. I don't mind that you're late, it's fine. I don't mind that anybody's late. Everybody just, you know, show up when you're here. Whenever you got time, it doesn't matter. Um, I just wanted to make sure because I I did accidentally forget my uh, usual Instagram post early this this uh, this morning, so I wanted to make sure I didn't miss you. All right, so we're in the Shrieking Shack. Snape bursts in, um, and uh, Sirius Black explains how he saw Peter Pettigrew in the newspaper in a picture of the Weasleys. Now we saw this at the beginning of this book, as you can see. Uh, right up above my head, there he is, Peter Pettigrew. Um, he knew he had to escape because he knew that Peter Pettigrew was staying close to Harry so that he could turn Harry in if Voldemort ever regained power. They managed to turn Scabbers back into Pettigrew and they have a, a discussion, essentially, about uh, what's to be done with him. Um, Sirius Black and even Lupin are intent that uh, he should be killed and they're about to do so when Harry intervenes and says his father would not have wanted his best friends to become murderers not over this I think he's right so they agree they're going to take him back they're going to take Peter Pettigrew back and uh, hand him over to the Dementors Try to think of, uh, you know, kind of how, how difficult a decision that could be for Harry. If you remember this whole book, he's been thinking about Sirius Black, the man who killed his parents, so he thought, and how, you know, if, if Harry ever got his hands on Sirius Black, he insists he was going to kill him. But then in this moment, Harry realizes this isn't what his dad would have wanted. A lot of growth. A lot of growth happening here. Um, so they decide to head back up to the castle and um, on their way there's a bit of an issue. Lupin starts to turn. It's the full moon. He hasn't had his potion. He turns into a werewolf. He runs off into the forest. Um, Sirius changes into a dog and goes off after him um, to make sure that he doesn't or himself, but he has to, uh, you know, he has to take care of Lupin because it's just like the old days. Um, Lupin hasn't had his Wolfsbane potion, and as such, he's a danger to anyone around him. He's not, he hasn't kept his mind about him this time. In the process, um, Harry flees, they lose track of, of, uh, um, Pettigrew. Pettigrew turns back into Lupin. Ah! Pettigrew turns back into Scabbers. And, um, Harry finds Sirius at the edge of the lake. Injured and alone. He goes to help him. They had, they had a conversation as they were heading back up toward the castle about how Harry might be able to come live with Sirius at some point. You know, Sirius is his godfather after all, so maybe once Sirius is cleared of these crimes, Harry can go live with him, but at the edge of the lake, with a hundred Dementors approaching, the, you know, widely considered most dangerous criminal of, of wizard kind, Sirius Black, is going to receive the kiss of death, the Dementors' kiss, 
It looks essentially hopeless. Harry tries to cast a Patronus. He tries. He can't. But as he's in the process of passing out, suddenly a Patronus comes prancing across the lake and drives all the Dementors away. That's where we ended. Quite the cliffhanger. What was going on there? He thought, Harry thought he recognized someone across the lake casting this Patronus, but uh, he's confused. Because the person he thought he saw doesn't really make sense. So, that's where we're going to be. One quick thing to start with. uh, A bit of feedback I got. Uh, Cincy, MS6, I appreciate the feedback. I'm going to keep up with the uh, the talking. It is a lot of babbling, but uh, I do think I agree with you. It's a good call to include some timestamps for uh, when the actual chapter starts. So I am going to start including that. My intent with this was always to edit these into a decent playlist where you could essentially just start a video and it would start exactly at the chapter and you could listen to the stuff at the end, but you could skip past it. And the next video obviously would then start with the, uh, the very... Uh, next chapter. Unfortunately, um, the 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 editing system on YouTube is really really rough, and so I've had some serious issues trying to get that uh, put together. That's still my hope for the future, but at the moment, I do apologize. Thank you for the feedback, and uh, I am going to start timestamping these. Now, Austin, Heather, Rachel, shall we get into it? The penultimate chapter. do this I know the screen is all black it's intentional chapter 21 Hermione's secret Uh, shocking business shocking Uh, miracle that uh, none of them died Never heard the like. Uh, by, by thunder, it was lucky that you were there, Snape. Thank you, Minister. Order of Merlin. Uh, second class, I'd say. Uh, first class, if I can wangle it. Thank you very much indeed, Minister. Nasty cut you've got there. Um, uh, Black's work, I, I suppose. As a matter of fact, it was Potter, Weasley, and Granger, Minister. No. Black had bewitched them. I saw it immediately. A confundus charm to judge by their behavior. They seemed to think that there was a possibility he was innocent. They weren't responsible for their actions. On the other hand, their interference might have permitted Black to escape. They obviously thought they were going to catch Black single-handed. They've got away with a great deal before now. I'm afraid it has given them a rather high opinion of themselves. And of course Potter has always been allowed an extraordinary amount of license by the Headmaster. Uh, well, Snape, um, Harry Potter, you know, uh, we've all got a, a bit of a blind eye where he's concerned. And yet, is it good for him to be given so much special treatment? Personally, I try to treat him like any other student, and any other student 
would be suspended, at the very least, for leading his friends into such danger. Consider, Minister, against all school rules. In said that it was difficult to understand. His limbs felt like lead, his eyelids too heavy to lift. <sighs> he wanted to lie here on this comfortable bed forever. Uh, what uh, amazes me the most is the behavior of the uh, Dementors. You've, you've really got no idea what made them retreat, Snape. No, Minister. By the time I'd had chance to come around, they were heading back to their positions at the entrances. Extraordinary. And, um, uh, yet uh, Black and Harry and the girl unconscious by the time I reached them. I bound and gagged Black naturally, conjured stretchers, and brought them all straight back to the castle. There was a pause. Harry's brain seemed to be moving a little faster, and as it did, a gnawing sensation grew in the pit of his stomach. He opened his eyes. Everything was slightly blurred. Somebody had removed his glasses. He was lying in the dark hospital wing. At the very end of the ward, he could make out Madame Pomfrey with her back to him, bending over a bed. Harry squinted. Red's... Ron's red hair was visible beneath Madame Pomfrey's arm. Harry moved his head over on the pillow. On the bed next to him lay Hermione. Moonlight was falling across her bed. Her eyes were open, too. She looked petrified, and when she saw that Harry was awake, she pressed a finger to her lips, then pointed to the hospital wing door. It was ajar, and the voices of Cornelius Fudge and Snape were coming through it from the corridor outside. Madame Pomfrey now came walking briskly up the dark ward to Harry's bed. He turned to look at her. She was carrying the largest block of chocolate he had ever seen in his life. It looked like a small boulder. Mmm, you're awake, she said briskly. She placed the chocolate on Harry's bedside table and began breaking it apart with a small hammer. How's Ron? said Harry and Hermione together. Mmm, he'll live, said Madame Pomfrey grimly. As for you two, you'll be staying here until I'm satisfied that you're... Potter, what do you think you're doing? Harry was sitting up, putting his glasses back on and picking up his wand. I need to see the headmaster, he said. Potter, said Madame Pomfrey soothingly. It's all right. They've got Black. He's locked away upstairs. The Dementors will be performing the kiss at any moment. What? Harry jumped out of bed. Hermione had done the same, but his shout had been heard in the corridor outside. Next second, Cornelius Fudge and Snape had entered the ward. Uh, Harry, Harry, uh, what's this? said Fudge, looking agitated. You should uh, b be in bed. Has he had any chocolate? he asked Madame Pomfrey anxiously. Minister, listen, Harry said. Sirius Black is innocent. Peter Pettigrew faked his own death. I saw him tonight. You can't let the Dementors do that thing to Sirius. He's... But Fudge was shaking his head with a small smile on his face. Harry, Harry, uh, you're, you're confused. 
You've uh, been through a, a dreadful ordeal. Lie back down now. Uh, we've got everything under control. You haven't! Harry yelled. You've got the wrong man! Minister, listen! Please! Hermione said. She had hurried to Harry's side and was gazing imploringly into Fudge's face. I saw him too. It was Ron's rat. He's an Magus. Pettigrew, I mean, and... You see, Minister, said Snape, confounded, both of them. Black's done a very good job on them. We're not confounded, Harry roared. Minister, Professor, said Madame Pomfrey angrily, I must insist that you leave. Potter is my patient and he should not be distressed. I'm not distressed, I'm trying to tell them what happened, Harry said furiously. If they just listen! But Madame Pomfrey suddenly stuffed a large chunk of chocolate into Harry's mouth. He choked, and she seized the opportunity to force him back into the bed. Now please, Minister, these children need care. Please leave. The door opened again. It was Dumbledore. Harry swallowed his mouthful of chocolate with great difficulty and got up again. Professor Dumbledore, Sirius Black. For heaven's sake, said Madame Pomfrey hysterically. Is this a hospital wing or not? Headmaster, I must insist. My apologies, Poppy, but I need a word with Mr. Potter and Miss Granger said Dumbledore calmly. I had just been talking to Sirius Black. I suppose he's told you the same fairy tale he's planted in Potter's mind, spat Snape. Something about a rat, and Pettigrew being alive. That is indeed Black's story, said Dumbledore, surveying Snape closely through his half-moon spectacles. And does my evidence count for nothing? snarled Snape. Peter Pettigrew was not in the Shrieking Shack, nor did I see any sign of him on the grounds. That was because you were knocked out, Professor, said Hermione earnestly. You didn't arrive in time to hear. Miss Granger, hold your tongue. Uh, uh, Snape, said Fudge, startled. Uh, the young lady is disturbed in her mind. We must uh, make allowances. I would like to speak to Harry and Hermione alone, said Dumbledore abruptly. Cornelius, Severus, Poppy, please leave us. Headmaster, sputtered Madame Pomfrey. They need treatment, they need rest. This cannot wait, said Dumbledore. I must insist. Madame Pomfrey pursed her lips and strode away into her office at the end of the ward, slamming the door behind her. Fudge consulted the large gold pocket watch dangling from his waistcoat. The um, uh, Dementors should have arrived by now, he said. I'll go and meet them. Dumbledore, I'll uh, see you upstairs. He crossed to the door and held it open for Snape. But Snape hadn't moved. You surely don't believe a word of Black's story, 
Snape whispered, his eyes fixed on Dumbledore's face. I wish to speak to Harry and Hermione alone, Dumbledore repeated. Snape took a step toward Dumbledore. Sirius Black showed that he was capable of murder at the age of sixteen, he breathed. You haven't forgotten that, Headmaster. You haven't forgotten that he once tried to kill me? My memory is as good as it ever was, Severus, said Dumbledore quietly. Snape turned on his heel and marched through the door Fudge was holding open. It closed behind them, and Dumbledore turned to Harry and Hermione. They both burst into speech at the same time. Professor, Black's telling the truth. We saw Pettigrew. He escaped when Professor Lupin turned into a werewolf. He's a rat. Pettigrew's front paw, I mean, uh, finger, he cut it off. Pettigrew attacked Ron. It wasn't serious. But Dumbledore held up his hand to stem the flow of questions from the two of them. It is your turn to listen, and I beg you will not interrupt me, because there is very little time, he said quietly. There is not a shred of proof to support Black's story except your word, and the word of two thirteen-year-old wizards will not convince anybody. A street full of eyewitnesses swore that they saw Sirius murder Pettigrew. I myself gave evidence to the Ministry that Sirius had been the Potter's secret keeper. Professor Lupin can tell you. Harry said, unable to stop himself. Professor Lupin is currently deep in the forest, unable to tell anyone anything. By the time that he is human again, it will be too late. Sirius will be worse than dead. I might add that werewolves are so mistrusted by most of our kind that his support will count for very little. And the fact that he and Sirius are old friends. But listen to me, Harry. It is too late. You understand me? You must see that Professor Snape's version of events is far more convincing than yours. He hates Sirius, Hermione said desperately, all because of some stupid trick Sirius played on him. Sirius has not acted like an innocent man. The attack on the fat lady, entering Gryffindor Tower with a knife. Without Pettigrew, Dead or alive, we have no chance of overturning Sirius's sentence. But you believe us? Yes, I do, said Dumbledore quietly. But I have no power to make other men see the truth, or to overrule the Minister of Magic. Harry stared up into the grave face and felt as though the ground beneath him were falling sharply away. He had grown used to the idea that Dumbledore could solve anything. He had expected Dumbledore to pull some amazing solution out of the air, but no. Their last hope was gone. What we need, said Dumbledore slowly, and his light blue eyes moved from Harry to Hermione is more time. But, Hermione began, and then her eyes became very round. Oh! Now pay attention, said Dumbledore, speaking very low and very clearly. 
Sirius is locked in Professor Flitwick's office on the seventh floor. Thirteenth window from the right of the West Tower. If all goes well, you will be able to save more than one innocent life tonight. But remember this, both of you. You must not be seen. Miss Granger, you know the law. You know what is at stake. You must not be seen. Harry didn't have a clue what was going on. Dumbledore had turned on his heel and looked back as he reached the door. I'm going to lock you in. It is, he consulted his watch, five minutes to midnight. Miss Granger, three turns should do it. Good luck. Good luck, Harry repeated as the door closed behind Dumbledore. Three turns? What's he talking about? What are we supposed to do? But Hermione was fumbling with the neck of her robes, pulling from beneath them a very long, very fine gold chain. Harry, come here, she said urgently. Quick! Harry moved toward her, completely bewildered. She was holding the chain out. He saw a tiny sparkling hourglass hanging from it. Here! She had thrown the chain around his neck, too. Ready? she said breathlessly. What are we doing? Harry said, completely lost. Hermione turned the hourglass over three times. The dark ward dissolved. Harry had the sensation that he was flying very fast, backward. A blur of colors and shapes rushed from him. His ears were pounding. He tried to yell, but he couldn't hear his own voice, and then he felt solid ground beneath his feet, and everything came into focus again. He was standing next to Hermione in the deserted entrance hall, and a stream of golden sunlight was falling across the paved floor from the open front doors. He looked wildly around at Hermione, the chain of the hourglass cutting into his neck. Hermione, what? In here! Hermione seized Harry's arm and dragged him across the hall to the, to the door of a broom closet. She opened it, pushed him inside among the buckets and mops, and slammed the door behind them. What? How? Hermione, what's happened? We've gone back in time, Hermione whispered, lifting the chain off Harry's neck in the darkness. Three hours back. Harry found his own leg and gave it a very hard pinch. It hurt a lot, which seemed to rule out the possibility he was having a very bizarre dream. But, shh, listen! Someone's coming. I think... I think it might be us. Hermione had her ear pressed against the cupboard door. Footsteps. More than three people. And we're walking slowly because we're under the invisibility cloak. She broke off, still listening intently. You've gone down the front steps. Hermione sat down in an upturned bucket, looking desperately anxious. But Harry wanted a few questions answered. Where did you get that hourglass thing? It's called a time-turner, Hermione whispered, and I got it from Professor McGonagall on our first day back. I've been using it all year to get to all my lessons. Professor McGonagall made me swear that I wouldn't tell anyone. I had to write all sorts of letters to the Ministry of Magic so that I could have one. I had to tell them that I was a model student. Disconnected for a moment. Uh, I'm going to back up just a little bit. 
Harry pushed open the closet door. The entrance hall was deserted. As quietly and quickly as they could, they darted out of the closet and down the stone steps. Oh, good grief. Sorry. It's called a time-turner, Hermione whispered, and I got it from Professor McGonagall on our first day back. I've been using it all year to get to my lessons. Professor McGonagall made me swear that I wouldn't tell anyone. She had to write all sorts of letters to the Ministry of Magic so that I could have one. She's had to tell them that I was a model student and that I would never, ever use it for anything except my studies. <sighs> I've been turning it back so I could do hours over again. That's how I've been doing several lessons at once, you see, but... Harry, I don't understand what Dumbledore wants us to do. Why did he tell us to go back three hours? How is that going to help Sirius? Harry stared at her shadowy face. There must be something that happened around now, and he wants us to change it, he said slowly. What happened? We were walking down to Hagrid's three hours ago. It is three hours ago, and we are walking down to Hagrid's, said Hermione. We just heard ourselves leaving. Harry frowned. He felt as though he were screwing up his whole brain in concentration. Hello and welcome. Mistake we talk to you, get me some help. Dumbledore just said... Just said that we could save more than one innocent life. And then it hit him. Hermione, we're going to save Buckbeak! But... How will that help Sirius? Dumbledore said... He just told us where the window is, the window of Flitwick's office. Where they've got Sirius locked up. We can... We get Buckbeak. We can fly Buckbeak up to the window and rescue Sirius. Sirius can escape on him. We can... They can escape together. From what Harry could see of Hermione's face, she looked terrified. If we manage that without being seen, it'll be a miracle. Well, we've got to try, haven't we? Said Harry. He stood up and pressed his ear against the door. Doesn't sound like anyone's there. Come on, let's go. Harry pushed the closet door open. The entrance hall was deserted. As quickly and quietly as they could, they darted out of the closet and down the stone steps. The shadows were already lengthening. The tops of the trees in the Forbidden Forest gilded once more with gold. Oh, if anyone's looking out the window... Hermione squeaked, looking up at the castle behind them. We'll make a run for it, said Harry determinedly. Straight into the forest, all right? We'll have to hide behind a tree or something and keep a lookout. Okay, but we'll go around by the greenhouses, said Hermione breathlessly. We need to keep out of sight and out of the sight of Hagrid's front door, or we'll see us. We must be nearly at Hagrid's by now. Still working out what she meant, Harry set off at a sprint, Hermione behind him. They tore across the vegetable gardens to the greenhouses, paused for a moment behind them, and then set off again, fast as they could, skirting around the Whomping Willow, tearing toward the shelter of the forest. Safe in the shadows of the trees, Harry turned around. Seconds later, Hermione arrived behind him.
painting. I'm just going to call you We Talk Tea because addressing you as mistake seems rough. Uh, but uh, We Talk Tea, welcome. Glad you caught up. Welcome to the live bits. Right, Hermione gasped. We need to sneak over to Hagrid's. Keep out of sight, Harry. They made their way silently through the trees. Keeping to the very edge of the forest. Then, as they glimpsed the front of Hagrid's house, they heard a knock upon his door. He moved quickly behind a wide oak tree, and peered out from either side. Hagrid had appeared in his doorway, shaking and white, looking around to see who had knocked. And Harry heard his own voice. It's us! We're wearing the invisibility cloak. Let us in and we can take it off. You shouldn't have come, Hagrid whispered. He stood back and shut the door quickly. This is the weirdest thing that we've ever done, Harry said fervently. Let's move along a bit, Hermione whispered. We need to get nearer to Buckbeak. They crept through the trees until they saw the nervous hippogriff tethered to the fence around Hagrid's pumpkin patch. Now? Harry whispered. No, said Hermione. No, if we steal him now, those committee people will think that Hagrid set him free. We've got to wait until they've seen him tied up outside. That's going to give us about sixty, sixty seconds, said Harry. This was starting to seem impossible. At that moment, there was a crash of breaking china from inside Hagrid's cabin. That's Hagrid breaking the milk jug, Hermione whispered. I'm going to find Scabbers in a moment. Sure enough, a few minutes later, they heard Hermione's shriek of surprise. Hermione, said Harry suddenly. What if we... we just run in there and grab Pettigrew? No, said Hermione in a terrified whisper. Don't you understand? We're breaking one of the most important wizarding laws. Nobody is supposed to change time. Nobody. You heard Dumbledore. If we're seen, we'd only be seen by ourselves and Hagrid. Harry, what do you think you would do if you saw yourself bursting into Hagrid's house? Said Hermione. I'd... I'd think I'd gone mad, said Harry. Or I'd think that there was some dark magic going on. Exactly. You wouldn't understand. You might even attack yourself. Don't you see? Professor McGonagall told me that awful things have happened when wizards have meddled with time. Loads of them end up killing their past or future selves by mistake. Okay, said Harry. It was just an idea. I just thought... But Hermione nudged him and pointed toward the castle. Harry moved his head a few inches to get a clearer view of the distant front doors. Dumbledore, Fudge... The old committee member and McNair the executioner were coming down the steps. We're about to come out, Hermione breathed. And sure enough, moments later, Hagrid's back door opened, and Harry saw himself, Ron, and Hermione walking out of it with Hagrid. 
It was, without a doubt, the strangest sensation of his life, standing behind the tree and watching himself in the pumpkin patch. It's okay, Beaky. It's okay, Hagrid said to Buckbeak. Then he turned to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Go on. Get going. Hagrid, we can't... We'll tell them what really happened. But can't kill him. Go! It's bad enough without you lot being in trouble and all. Harry watched the Hermione in the pumpkin patch throw the invisibility cloak over him and Ron. Go quick! Don't... don't listen. There was a knock on Hagrid's front door. The execution party had arrived. Hagrid turned around and headed back into his cabin, leaving the back door ajar. Harry watched the glass. Harry watched the grass flatten in patches all around the cabin and heard three pairs of feet retreating. He, Ron, and Hermione had gone. But the Harry and Hermione hidden in the trees could now hear what was happening inside the cabin through the back door. Where is the beast? came the cold voice of McNair. Out! Outside! Hagrid croaked. Harry pulled his head out of sight as McNair's face appeared at Hagrid's window, staring at Buckbeak. Then they heard Fudge. We um, have to read you the official notice of execution, Hagrid. We'll make it quick, and then uh, you and McNair need to sign it. McNair, you're supposed to listen to That's procedure. McNair's face vanished from the window. It was now or never. Wait here, Harry whispered to Hermione. I'll do it. Heather says, your Hagrid and Harry voices are spot on. Thank you very much. And uh, we talked to you. I know, man. There are, there are lots of moments in these books where I feel very, very sorry for Hagrid. Also, I apologize. My delay's up to 45 seconds, so I'll be getting to the, some of the chat stuff a little late. But please, do share. I love the chat. As Fudge's voice started again, Harry darted out from behind his tree, vaulted the fence into the pumpkin patch, and approached Buckbeak. It is the decision of the committee for the disposal of dangerous creatures that the Hippogriff Buckbeak, hereafter called the Condemned, shall be executed on the 6th of June at sundown. Careful not to blink, Harry stared up into Buckbeak's fierce orange eyes once more, and bowed. Buckbeak sank to his scaly knees and then stood up again. Harry began to fumble with a knot of rope tying Buckbeak to the fence. Sentenced to execution by beheading to be carried out by the committee's appointed executioner, Walden McNair. Come on, Buckbeak. Hello, dragon. Welcome. Harry murmured. Come on, we're going to help you. Quietly, quietly. As witnessed below. Uh, 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 Hagrid, you, uh, you sign here. Harry threw all of his weight onto the rope, but Buckbeak had dug in his front feet. Well, let's get this over with. 
said the reedy voice of the committee member from inside Haggard's cabin. Haggard, uh, perhaps it would be better if you if you stayed inside. No, no, I, I want to be with him. I don't want him to be alone. Footsteps echoed from within the cabin. Buckbeak, move! Harry hissed. Harry tugged harder on the rope around Buckbeak's neck. The hippogriff began to walk, rustling its wings irritably. They were still ten feet away from the forest, in plain view of Hagrid's back door. One moment, please, McNair, came Dumbledore's voice. You need to sign, too. The footsteps stopped. Harry heaved on the rope. Buckbeak snapped his beak and walked a little faster. Hermione's white face was sticking out from behind a tree. Harry! Hurry! She mouthed. Harry could still hear Dumbledore's voice. Hmm. Harry could still hear Dumbledore's voice talking from within the cabin. He gave the rope another wrench. Buckbeak broke into a grudging trot. They had reached the trees. Quick! Quick! Hermione moaned, darting from behind her tree, seizing the rope too and adding her weight to make Buckbeak move faster. Harry looked over his shoulder. They were now blocked from sight. They couldn't see Hagrid's garden at all. Stop, he whispered to Hermione. They might hear us. Hagrid's back door had opened with a bang. Harry, Hermione, and Buckbeak stood quite still. Even the hippogriff seemed to be listening intently. Silence. Then... Oh, where is it? said the reedy voice of the committee member. Where is the beast? It was tied here, said the executioner furiously. I saw it just here. How extraordinary, said Dumbledore. There was a note of amusement in his voice. Beaky, said Hagrid huskily. There was a swishing noise and the thud of an axe. The executioner seemed to have swung it into the fence out of anger. And then came the howling, and this time they could hear Hagrid's words through his sobs. Gone! Gone! God bless his little Beaky's gone! Must have pulled himself free! Beaky, a clever boy! Buckbeak started to strain against the rope, trying to get back to Hagrid. Harry and Hermione tightened their grip and dug their heels into the forest floor to stop him. Someone untie them, the executioner was snarling, snarling. We should search the grounds, the forest. McNair, if Buckbeak has indeed been stolen, do you really think that the thief will have led him away on foot? Said Dumbledore, still sounding a moo- Gotta slow down. Said Dumbledore, still sounding amused. Search the skies, if you will. Hagrid... I could do with a cup of tea. Or a large brandy. Oh, of course, of course, Professor, said Hagrid, who sounded weak with happiness. Come in, come in. Harry and Hermione listened closely. They heard footsteps, 
the soft cursing of the executioner, the snap of the door. And then, silence once more. Now what? whispered Harry, looking around. We'll have to hide in here, said Hermione, looked very shaken. We need to wait until they've gone back up to the castle. Then we wait until it's safe to fly Buckbeak up to Sirius's window. We won't be there for another couple of hours. Oh, this is going to be difficult. She looked nervously over her shoulder into the depths of the forest. The sun was setting now. We're going to have to move, said Harry, thinking hard. We've got to be able to see the Whomping Willow, or we won't know what's going on. Okay, said Hermione, getting a firmer grip on Buckbeak's rope. But we've got to see... We've got to keep out of sight, Harry, remember. He moved around the edge of the forest darkness falling thickly around them until they were hidden behind a clump of trees through which they could make out the willow. There's Ron, said Harry suddenly. A dark figure was sprinting across the lawn, and its shout echoed through the air. Get away from him! Get away! Scabbers, come here! Then they saw two more figures materialize out of nowhere. Harry watched himself and Hermione chasing after Ron, and he saw Ron dive. Gotcha! Get off, you stinking cat! There's Sirius, said Harry. The great shape of the dog had bounded out from the roots of the willow. They saw him bowl Harry over, then seize Ron. Looks even worse from here, doesn't it? said Harry, watching the dog pulling Ron into the roots. Ouch! Look, I just got walloped by the tree. And so did you. This is weird. The Whomping Willow was creaking and lashing out with its lower branches. They could see themselves darting here and there, trying to reach the trunk. And then the tree froze. That was Crookshanks pressing the knot, said Hermione. And there we go, Harry muttered. We're in. Rachel, I think that's excellent to talk about, and we're going to get that, uh, going to get to that between the chapters, because I want to talk about that. <laughs> the moment they appeared, the moment they disappeared, the tree began to move again. Seconds later, they heard footsteps quite close by. Dumbledore, McNair, Fudge, and the old committee member were making their way up to the castle. Right after we'd gone down into the passage, said Hermione. If only Dumbledore had come with us. McNair and Fudge would have come too, said Harry bitterly. I bet you anything Fudge would have told McNair to murder Sirius on the spot. They watched the four men climb into the castle, disappear from view. For a few minutes the scene was deserted. Then, here comes Lupin! said Harry as they watched another figure sprinting down the stone steps and herring toward the willow. Harry looked up at the sky. Clouds were obscuring the moon completely. They watched Lupin seize a broken branch from the ground and prod the knot in the trunk. The tree stopped fighting 
and Lupin, too, disappeared into the gap in its roots. If he'd only grabbed the cloak, said Harry. It's just lying there. He turned to Hermione. If I just dashed out now and grabbed it, Snape would never be able to get it, and... Harry, we mustn't be seen! How can you stand this? He asked Hermione fiercely. Just standing here and watching it happen. He hesitated. I'm going to grab the cloak. Harry, no! Hermione seized the back of Harry's robes not a moment too soon. Just then they heard a burst of song. It was Hagrid, making his way up to the castle, singing at the top of his voice and weaving slightly as he walked. A large bottle was swinging from his hands. See? Hermione whispered. You see what would have happened? We've got to keep out of sight. No, Buckbeak! The Hippogriff was making frantic attempts to get to Hagrid again. Harry seized his rope too, straining to hold Buckbeak back. They watched Hagrid meander tipsily up to the castle. He was gone. Buckbeak stopped fighting to get away. His head drooped sadly. Barely two minutes later, the castle doors flew open yet again, and Snape came charging out of them, running toward the willow. Harry's fists clenched as they watched Snape skid to a halt next to the tree, looking around. He grabbed the cloak and held it up. Get your filthy hands off it, Harry snarled under his breath. Shh! Snape seized the branch Lupin had used to freeze the tree, prodded the knot, and vanished from view as he put on the cloak. So that's it, said Hermione quietly. We're all down there. Now we've just got to wait until we come back up again. She took the end of Buckbeak's rope and tied it securely around the nearest tree, then sat down on the dry ground, arms around her knees. Harry, there's something I don't understand. Why didn't the Dementors get serious? I remember them coming, and I think I passed out. So many of them. Harry sat down, too. He explained what he'd seen, how, as the nearest Dementor was lowering its mouth to Harry's, a large silver something had come galloping across the lake and forced the Dementors to retreat. Hermione's mouth was slightly open by the time Harry had finished. But what was it? There's only one thing it could have been, to make the Dementors go, said Harry. A real Patronus. A powerful one. But who conjured it? <sighs> Harry didn't say anything. He was thinking back to the person he'd seen on the other bank of the lake. He knew who he thought it had been. But how could it have been? Didn't you see what they looked like? said Hermione eagerly. Was it one of the teachers? No, said Harry. It wasn't a teacher. 
But it must have been a really powerful wizard to drive away those Dementors. If the Patronus was shining so brightly, didn't it light him up? Couldn't you see? Yeah. I saw him, said Harry slowly. But maybe I imagined it. I wasn't thinking straight. I, I passed out right afterward. Who do you think it was? I think... Harry swallowed, knowing how strange this was going to sound. I think it was my dad. Harry glanced up at Hermione and saw that her mouth was fully open now. She was gazing at him, the mixture of alarm and pity. Harry, your dad is, well, dead, she said quietly. I know that, said Harry quickly. You think you saw his ghost? I don't know. No, he looked solid. But then... Maybe I was seeing things, said Harry. But from what I could see, it looked like him. I've got photos of him. Hermione was still looking at him as though worried about his sanity. I know it sounds crazy, said Harry flatly. He turned to look at Buckbeak, who was still digging his beak into the ground, apparently searching for worms. But he wasn't really watching Buckbeak. He was thinking about his father, and about his three oldest friends. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. Had all four of them been out on the grounds tonight? Wormtail had reappeared this evening when everyone thought he was dead. Was it so impossible that his father had done the same? He had been seeing things. Had he been seeing things across the lake? The figure had been too far away to see distinctly. Yet he had felt sure for a moment, before he'd lost consciousness. The leaves overhead rustled faintly in the breeze. The moon drifted in and out of sight behind the shifting clouds. Hermione sat with her face turned toward the willow, waiting. And then, at last, after over an hour... Here we come, Hermione whispered. She and Harry got to their feet. Buckbeak raised his head. They saw Lupin, Ron, and Pettigrew clambering awkwardly out of the hole in the roots, followed by the unconscious Snape, drifting weirdly upward. Next came Harry, Hermione, and Black. They all began to walk toward the castle. Harry's heart was starting to beat very fast. He glanced up at the sky. Any moment now, that cloud was going to move aside and show the moon. Harry? Hermione muttered as though she knew exactly what he was thinking. We've got to stay put. We mustn't be seen. There's nothing we can do. So we're just going to let Pettigrew escape all over again, said Harry quietly. How do you expect to find a rat in the dark? snapped Hermione. There's nothing we can do. 
We came back to help Sirius. We're not supposed to be doing anything else. All right. The moon slid out from behind its cloud. They saw the tiny figures across. They saw the tiny figures across the ground stop. Then they saw movement. There goes Lupin. Hermione whispered. He's transforming. Hermione, said Harry suddenly. We've got to move. We mustn't. I keep telling you. Not to interfere. Lupin's going to run into the forest, right at us. Hermione gasped. Oh, quick, she moaned, dashing to untie Buckbeak. Quick, where are we going to go? Where are we going to hide? The Dementors will be coming at any moment. Back to Hagrid's, Harry said. It's empty now. Come on. They ran as fast as they could, Buckbeak cantering along behind them. They could hear the werewolf howling. The cabin was in sight. Harry skidded to the door, wrenched it open, and Hermione and Buckbeak flashed past him. Harry threw himself in after them and bolted the door. Fang the boarhound barked loudly. Shh! Fang! Fang! It's us! said Hermione, hurrying over and scratching his ears to quiet him. That was really close, she said to Harry. Yeah. Just a quick note, and I wish Carl were here to, to help me figure this out, but it says, uh, Harry, uh, excuse me, Hermione hurried over and, hurrying over and scratching his ears to quieten him. I have not seen that word before. Harry was looking out of the window. It was... <laughs> Harry was looking out of the window. It was much harder to see what was going on from here. Buckbeak seemed very happy to find himself back inside Hagrid's house. He lay down in front of the fire, folded his wings contentedly, and seemed ready for a good nap. I think I'd better go outside again, you know, said Harry slowly. I can't see what's going on. We won't know when it's time. Hermione looked up. Her expression was suspicious. I'm not going to try and interfere, said Harry quickly. But if we don't see what's going on, how are we going to know when it's time to rescue Sirius? Well? Okay, then. I'll wait here with Buckbeak, but Harry, be careful. There's a werewolf out there. And the Dementors. Harry stepped outside again, and edged around the cabin. He could hear yelping in the distance. That meant the Dementors were closing in on Sirius. He and Hermione would be running into him at any moment. Harry stared out toward the lake, his heart doing a kind of drum roll in his chest. Whoever had sent that Patronus would be appearing at any moment. Again, let me know how my volume is. For a fraction of a second he stood, irresolute, in front of Hagrid's door. You must not be seen. But he didn't want to be seen. He wanted to do the seeing. He had to know. And there were the Dementors. They were emerging out of the darkness from every direction, gliding around the edges of the lake. 
They were moving away from where Harry stood to the opposite bank. He wouldn't have to get near them. Harry began to run. He had no thought in his head except his father. If it was him, if it really was him, he had to know. He had to find out. Blake was coming nearer and nearer, but there was no sign of anybody. On the opposite bank, he could see tiny glimmers of silver, his own attempts at a Patronus. There was a bush at the very edge of the water. Harry threw himself behind it, peering desperately through the leaves. On the opposite bank, the glimmers of silver were suddenly extinguished. A terrified excitement shot through him. Any moment now. Come on, he muttered, staring about. Where are you? Dad, come on! But no one came. Harry raised his head to look at the circle of Dementors across the lake. One of them was lowering its hood. It was time for the rescuer to appear. But no one was coming to this... But no one was coming to help this time. And then it hit him. He understood. He hadn't seen his father. He had seen himself. Harry flung himself out from behind the bush and pulled out his wand. Expecto Patronum! He yelled. And out of the wand of his... And out of the tip of his wand burst not a shapeless cloud of mist, but a blinding, dazzling silver animal. He screwed up his eyes, trying to see what it was. It looked like a horse. It was galloping silently away from him, across the black surface of the lake. He saw it lower its head and charge at the swarming Dementors. Now it was galloping around and around the black shapes on the ground. The Dementors were falling back, scattering, retreating into the darkness. They were gone. The Patronus turned. It was cantering back toward Harry across the still surface of the water. It wasn't a horse. It wasn't a unicorn, either. It was a stag. It was shining brightly as the moon above. It was coming back to him. It stopped on the bank. The tooves made no mark on the soft ground as it stared at Harry with its large silver eyes. Slowly, it bowed its antlered head. And Harry realized. Prongs, he whispered. But as his trembling fingers reached toward the creature, it vanished. Harry stood there, hand still outstretched. Then with a great leap of his heart he heard hooves behind him. He whirled around and saw Hermione dashing toward him, dragging Buckbeak behind her. What did you do? she said fiercely. You said you were only going to keep a lookout. I just saved all our lives, said Harry. Get behind here, behind this bush. I'll explain. Hermione listened to what happened, with her mouth open yet again. Did anyone see you? Yes, 
Haven't you been listening? I saw me, but I thought that I was my dad. It's okay. Harry, I can't believe it. You conjured up a Patronus that drove away all those Dementors. That's very, very advanced magic. I knew that I could do it this time, said Harry, because I'd already done it. Does that make sense? I don't know. Harry, look at Snape! Together they peered around the bush at the other bank. Snape had regained consciousness. He was conjuring stretchers and lifting the limp forms of Harry, Hermione, and Black onto them. A fourth stretcher, no doubt bearing Ron, was already floating at his side. Then, wand held out in front of him. He moved away toward the castle. Right. It's nearly time, said Hermione tensely, looking at her watch. We've got about forty-five minutes until Dumbledore locks the door to the hospital wing. We've got to rescue Sirius and get back into the ward before anyone realizes that we're missing. They waited, watching the moving clouds reflected in the lake, while the bush next to them whispered in the breeze. Buckbeak, bored, was ferreting for worms again. Do you reckon he's up there yet? said Harry, checking his watch. He looked up at the castle and began counting the windows to the right of the west tower. Look! Hermione whispered. Who's that? Someone's coming back out of the castle! Harry stared through the darkness. The man was hurrying across the grounds, toward one of the entrances. Something shiny glinted in his belt. McNair, said Harry. The executioner! He's gone to get the Dementors! This is it, Hermione! Hermione put her hands on Buckbeak's back, and Harry gave her a leg up. And he placed his foot on one of the lower branches of the bush and climbed up on front of her. pulled Buckbeak's rope back over his neck and tied it to the other side of his collar like the reins. Ready? he whispered to Hermione. You better hold on to me. He nudged Buckbeak's sides with his heels. Buckbeak soared straight into the dark air. Harry gripped his flanks with his knees, feeling the great wings rising powerfully beneath them. Hermione was holding Harry very tight around the waist, he could hear her muttering, Oh no, I don't like this. Oh, I really don't like this. Harry urged Buckbeak forward. They were gliding quietly toward the upper floors of the castle. Harry pulled hard on the left-hand side of the rope, and Buckbeak turned. Harry was trying to count the windows flashing past. Whoa, he said, pulling backward as hard as he could. Buckbeak slowed down, and they found themselves at a stop. Unless you counted the fact that they kept rising up and down several feet as the hippogriff beat his wings to remain airborne. He's here, Harry said, spotting Sirius as they rose up beside the window. He reached out, and as Buckbeak's wings fell, was able to tap sharply on the glass. Black looked up. 
Harry saw his jaw drop. He leapt from his chair, hurried to the window, and tried to open it, but it was locked. Stand back! Hermione called to him, and she took out her wand, still gripping the back of Harry's robes with her left hand. Anomahora! Oh, no, not quite. Anomahora! The window sprang open. How? How? said Black weakly, staring at the hippogriff. Get on! There's not much time, said Harry, gripping Buckbeak firmly on either side of his sleek neck to hold him steady. You've got to get out of here. The Dementors are coming. McNair's gone to get them. Black placed a hand on either side of the window frame and heaved his head on... Uh, he heaved his head and shoulders out of it. It was very lucky he was so thin. In seconds, he had managed to fling one leg over Buckbeak's back and pulled himself onto the hippogriff behind Hermione. Okay, Buckbeak, up, said Harry, shaking the rope. Up to the tower, come on! The hippogriff gave one sweep of its mighty wings and they were soaring upward again, high as the top of the west tower. Buckbeak landed with a clatter on the battlements, and Harry and Hermione slid off him at once. Serious, you better go, quick, Harry panted. They'll reach Flitwick's office at any moment. They'll find out that you're gone. Buckbeak pawed the ground, tossing his sharp head. What happened to the other boy? Ron, croaked Sirius. He's going to be okay. He's still out of it, but Madame Pomfrey says she'll make him better. Uh, quick, go! But Black was still f staring down at Harry. How can I ever thank... "'Go!' Harry and Hermione shouted together. Black wheeled Buckbeak around, facing the open sky. "'We'll see each other again,' he said. "'You are truly your father's son, Harry.' He squeezed Buckbeak's sides with his heels. Harry and Hermione jumped back as the enormous wings rose once more. The hippogriff took off into the air. He and his rider became smaller and smaller as Harry gazed after them. Then a cloud drifted across the moon. We're gone. And that is the end of chapter 21. First chapter for tonight. The next chapter is a bit shorter. But it has been a ride, hasn't it? Now, here's how this always works. I'm going to take a quick break, five minutes, then I'm going to come back. We're going to talk about some stuff. I'll do a quick review of what happened in the chapter we just read for anybody coming in late. And then we're going to get on to the final chapter of the night and the final chapter of Prisoner of Azkaban. We made such tracks. Such tracks we have made. I'll be right back. Five minutes. I'm going to put it in the chat uh, so you can see. But while I am gone, do me a favor. If you've got any questions, any comments, any concerns... Go ahead and put them in chat as well. I would love to talk about it. Um, Rachel's got something I want to talk about. Um, oh, we talked tea. Sorry, I missed you. Uh, I hope you have a good night. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for watching. Um, and uh, I will see you all in just a moment. Five minutes. And we're back. Hello, everyone.
Sometimes waving my head around back there will make that that shimmering disappear. But uh, hey, we'll just call it the the magical effect of presenting myself up in this way. Uh, Heather Austin Sone says, "Good job, thank you, Heather. I appreciate it." Um, okay, so first we're going to talk about Rachel's Rachel's uh, question here. Rachel says, "If people saw themselves in the future, since they went back in time and they killed themselves, wouldn't they disappear from whatever time spot they were in, and uh, when they killed the other?" When they killed their other self. Uh, one of them deep, dark questions. Um, <laughs> I think... I think there's a lot we could talk about in terms of time travel. Um, it's in terms of like plot holes and everything. This is definitely the part of, of Harry Potter that gets scrutinized the most. Um, there's a lot going on here. Anytime you incorporate time travel in anything, it gets wild. Um... But I'm gonna go on, just read the whole thing, and then we'll 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 uh, we'll sort it out. We're gonna get this hammered out right here. Um, years of time travel discussion. We're gonna get this ironed out right here and now tonight, on uh, March third, 2019. We're gonna get this sorted. Um, Richard says. Also, did Dumbledore know that Hagrid's pet was going to escape, and he was just covering it up when he said the stuff about how they wouldn't have left on foot? I think. It's open for discussion. Um, you know, there's the whole idea of, you know, by this point, had Dumbledore even had the idea to send someone from the future back in time um, to try and help Buckbeak escape? Is he putting this all together? It would be kind of strange because at this point, he doesn't know that Sirius Black is going to be caught that night. And so he doesn't know about the utility, you know, that it... That it would present the group to have a hippogriff available, have a, a flying mount available. Um, and I think for the sake of Hagrid, he would be very discouraged, you know, that, that something like this would happen to Buckbeak. But overall, I don't think, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it, it's not important to the world as a whole yet. You know, Buckbeak is a noble creature, pretty innocent. Um, just sort of a, you know, wild animal, innocent. But all the same, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't bring the world down around their ears if uh, Buckbeak is in fact executed. So, I don't know. You could certainly make the argument that Dumbledore always knows what's going on at all times. And he had, that he had some idea that, you know, perhaps there were interesting things afoot. Perhaps there were people running around. That, uh, you know, might not ought to be there. Who knows? But back to the original one. If people saw themselves in the future, since they went back in time and they killed themselves, wouldn't they disappear from whatever time spot they were in when they killed their other self? Um, I tell you what. Watch the movie Looper. That'll get this all sorted out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're going to sort it out tonight by you watching Looper tonight. And then it's all sorted out. <laughs> okay. Anything else from chat? Um, I just want to thank everybody who's here. This, is, this has been my, my highest, uh, what, stream traffic night. Uh, delays up to 65 seconds. I do apologize. So I'm going to blabber for a full minute before you guys have a chance to respond. Good luck to you. Uh, Austin, Heather, Rachel. Uh, we talk T, Heather. Did I already say Heather? Yeah, yeah I did. 
uh, Dragon. That's an epic name. Um, thank your parents for that one. And uh, I've had some new subs this this week too. I guess it would have been two weeks because we've had a couple of weeks uh, since we've been on here. But I do appreciate everyone that's showing up. Um, let's see. Uh, Reese, Reese Carden, Brian Cahill, Marissa Gray, uh, and then uh, some commenters. Tatiana Blanco, thanks for being here. Very good to see y'all. And um, I just enjoy uh, I, I enjoy seeing all your names up here because it means that people are enjoying what I'm doing. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Uh, I do this every week, pretty much. Eh, mostly every week. The intent is every week. Um, but I really enjoy it. I am in the midst, like it says in the description, of a front-to-back read-through, and tonight we are finishing up the final chapter of book three. How exciting is that? We're just beyond a year. Quick update. Um, by the way, I've got some 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 pretty bot beans that we're gonna we're gonna get into next book, but. Um, I have some interesting news. I don't know exactly what's going on, but uh, quick update on Ike, the Ukrainian Iron Belly. Um, I've been keeping the the egg on the candle, and I heard crackling. I rushed over. Still feels warm as usual, but as uh, by that time everything had kind of settled down. But I know for sure. When I was laying in bed, I heard crackling coming from the egg. I don't know what that means. It hasn't moved yet. I haven't seen any movement. But things are going on in there, all right? This is working. What I've been reading up on, um, it's, it's perhaps maybe a, a, um, uh, an illicit sort of dragon breeding uh, manuscript compiled by some students uh, in Charlie Weasley's crew. Um, but crackling is a good sign. I think I'm on the right track. Stay tuned for more news on Ike, the Ukrainian Iron Belt. And Rachel, thank you very much for facilitating this. Uh, Heather says, it's a catchy name. Probably referring to sidecar stories. Again, it's every time I interact with chat, I have to remember what happened 65 seconds ago, but I think probably that. And you know what? By darn, I like it too. I agonized over what name I should give this thing. It took me weeks. I was like, what? Um, <laughs> what a goofy way to explain it. No, I was I was trying to... I was like, what? I was really trying to sort out, um, you know, what would be something that's easy to easy to spell, like nothing too crazy, uh, but I wanted it to be memorable, and I really like what we've landed on here. And it's, uh, it's reminiscent of, I think, Hagrid's bike. You know, Hagrid's uh, motorcycle, which originally was Sirius Black's motorcycle. There's a lot... Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff wrapped up into it. And thematically, it's appropriate. I think, ultimately, I've decided I'm the guy on the motorcycle and then you are joining me in my sidecar as I tell you this story. <laughs> and we go along together. Uh, Rachel says, Ike! I love Ike. I love Ike too, and I'm very much looking forward to seeing what hatches from this egg. Because that is the goal. I am going to hatch this egg. And by the crackling I've been hearing, I'm on the right track. So, let's move on.
quick summary of what we just saw in the last chapter. Essentially, Harry and Hermione wake up in the hospital wing. They learn that Sirius Black is about to receive the Dementor's kiss, the kiss of, of worse than death, the kiss that will suck out his soul, um, because no one believes their story. Dumbledore confirms that, uh, essentially, they've got no evidence, and Snape's story makes more sense than theirs. Um, so they must do something about it. He gives Hermione some cryptic instructions and then sends Harry and Hermione into a, a locked room where Hermione explains they have to go back in time using the time turner she's been using all year to get to her classes. They go back in time. They rescue Buckbeak right out from under the nose of the executioner. They use Buckbeak to get to the second floor um, and free uh, Sirius Black from where he's being hidden. Harry struggles the whole time. He's not supposed to be seen. It breaks wizarding law. It breaks the laws of time itself. But he wants to catch scabbers. He wants to see who conjured that Patronus that kept the Dementors away from him and Sirius Black by the edge of the lake. He goes to find who might have done that because he thinks it was his father. He realizes, standing at the spot where his father should be showing up, he didn't see his father across the lake, he saw himself. He casts a Patronus, gets the Dementors out of there, goes up, rescues Sirius Black, and Sirius Black and Buckbeak fly off into the night. That's where we ended. And Heather asks, um... Oh. <laughs> Heather says, uh, because you said my name twice. Yes. Heather Austin Stone, it is a catchy name. Honestly, it sounds like um, a great kind of singer-songwriter uh, kind of thing. I could definitely see that on an album. And Rachel says, did you read my crazy comment? I believe so. The one about, uh, you know, people going back in time. Oh, no, I missed one. Uh, okay, so Rachel says, wait, that would also mean that they would have never killed their other selves because they wouldn't have been there in the first place and they would have to go back time to kill their other selves. I will admit, uh, the craziness is catching up with me. I'm not tracking super, super well. Let me see. Essentially, I don't know. Here's my own personal thought on it. I think that going back in time... Okay, well, here's the boring answer. I don't think it's ever going to... I don't think it's possible. There we go. But the interesting answer, if it were, I think essentially you... It would be... It would be. I mean, it would be a matter of like, are you... Is it the old... Is it the, the future version coming back and, and attacking up? past version because then I think it would end, it would end the time loop and it would just revert back to that moment when that happened the future one would disappear and the past one would be dead I think there's a lot to unpack there alright let's get on to the final chapter of the night and the final chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban Chapter 22, I'll post again. Harry! Harry! Hermione was tugging at his sleeve, staring at her watch. We've got exactly ten minutes to get back down to the hospital wing without anyone seeing us, before Dumbledore locks the door. Okay, said Harry, wrenching his gaze from the sky. 
Let's go. They slipped through the doorway behind them and down a tightly spiraled staircase. They reached the bottom of it. They heard voices. They flattened themselves against the wall and listened. It sounded like Fudge and Snape. They were walking quickly along the corridor at the foot of the staircase. Only hope the Dumbledore is not going to make any difficulties, Snape was saying. The kiss will be performed immediately. As, um, as soon as uh, McNair returns with the Dementors, this whole black affair has, has been uh, highly embarrassing. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to informing the Daily Prophet that we've got him at last. I dare say they'll want to interview you, Snape, and uh, once young Harry's back in his right mind, I expect he'll want to tell the Prophet exactly how you saved him. Heather says, congrats, Rachel, my brain hurts. It's a bender. It's a real mind-bender. Harry clenched his teeth. He caught a glimpse of Snape's smirk as he and Fudge passed Harry and Hermione's hiding place. Their footsteps died away. Harry and Hermione waited a few moments to make sure they'd really gone, then started to run in the opposite direction. Down one staircase, then another, across a new corridor, then they heard a cackling ahead. Peeves! Harry muttered, grabbing Hermione's wrist. In here. They tore into a deserted classroom to their left, just in time. Peeves seemed to be bouncing along the corridor in boisterous good spirits, laughing his head off. Oh, he's horrible, whispered Hermione, her ear to the door. But he's all excited because the Dementors are going to finish off Sirius. She checked her watch. Three minutes, Harry. They waited until Peeves' gloating voice had faded into the distance, and slid back out of the room and broke into a run again. Hermione, what'll happen if we don't get back inside before Dumbledore locks the door? Harry panted. Oh, I don't want to think about it, Hermione moaned, checking her watch again. One minute. They had reached the end of the corridor with the hospital wing entrance. Okay, I can hear Dumbledore, said Hermione tensely. Come on, Harry. They crept along the corridor. The door opened. Dumbledore's back appeared. I am going to lock you in, they heard him saying. It is five minutes to midnight. Miss Granger, three turns should do it. Good luck. Dumbledore backed out of the room closed the door, and took out his wand to magically lock it. Panicking, Harry and Hermione ran forward. Dumbledore looked up, and a wide smile appeared under his long silver mustache. Well, he said quietly. We did it, said Harry breathlessly. Sirius has gone on Buckbeak. Dumbledore beamed at them. Well done. I think... He listened intently for any sound within the hospital wing. Yes, I think you've gone too. Get inside. I'll lock you in. Harry and Hermione slipped back inside the dormitory. It was empty except for Ron, who was still lying motionless on the end bed. As the lock clicked behind them, 
Harry and Hermione crept back into their own beds, Hermione tucking the time-turner back under her robes. A moment later, Madame Pomfrey came striding back out of her office. Did I hear the headmaster leaving? Am I allowed to look after my patients now? She was in a very bad mood. Harry and Hermione thought it best to accept their chocolate quietly. Madame Pomfrey stood over them, making sure they ate it. But Harry could hardly swallow. He and Hermione were waiting, listening, their nerves jangling. And then as they took a fourth piece of chocolate from Madame Pomfrey, they heard a distant roar of fury echoing from somewhere above them. What was that? said Madame Pomfrey in alarm. Now they could hear angry voices growing louder and louder. Madame Pomfrey was staring at the door. Really? They'll wake everybody up. What do they think that they're doing? Harry was trying to hear what the voices were saying. They were drawing nearer. He must have disapparated, Sirius. We should have left someone in the room with him when this gets out. He didn't disapparate, Snape roared, now very close at hand. You can't disapparate or apparate within the castle. This has something to do with Potter. Uh, Sirius, be reasonable. Harry has been locked up. Bam! The door of the hospital wing burst open. Fudge, Snape, and Dumbledore came striding into the ward. Dumbledore alone looked calm. Indeed, he looked as though he was quite enjoying himself. Fudge appeared angry, but Snape was beside himself. Out with it, Potter! He bellowed. What did you do? Professor Snape! shrieked Madame Pomfrey. Control yourself! See, see here, Snape, um, uh, be reasonable, said Fudge. This door has uh, been locked. We, we just saw him. They helped him escape. I knew it, Snape howled, pointing at Harry and Hermione. His face was twisted. Spit was flying from his mouth. Uh, calm down, man, Fudge barked. You're talking nonsense. You don't know Potter, shrieked Snape. He did it. I know he did it. That will do, Severus, said Dumbledore quietly. Think about what you are saying. This door has been locked since I left the ward ten minutes ago. Madame Pomfrey, have these students left their beds? Of course not, said Madame Pomfrey, bristling. I would have heard them. Well, there you have it, Severus, said Dumbledore calmly. Unless you are suggesting that Harry and Hermione are able to be in two places at once, I'm afraid I don't see any point in troubling them further. Snape stood there, seething, staring from Fudge, who looked thoroughly shocked at his behavior, to Dumbledore, whose eyes were twinkling behind his glasses. Snape whirled about, robes swishing behind him, and stormed out of the ward. Uh, fellow seems uh, quite unbalanced, said Fudge, staring after him. 
I, I will watch out for him, if I were you, Dumbledore. Oh, he's not unbalanced, said Dumbledore quietly. He's just suffered a severe disappointment. Well, he's uh, not the only one, puffed Fudge. Oh, the Daily Prophet's going to uh, have a field day. We had Black cornered, and he, he slipped through our fingers again. All it needs now is for the uh, the story of that uh, Hippogriff's escape to get out, and I'll be a laughing stock. Well, ah. well, I'd better go and uh, notify the Ministry. And the Dementors, said Dumbledore. They'll be removed from the school, I trust. Oh, yes, they'll have to go, said Fudge, running his fingers distractedly through his hair. Never I dreamed that they'd uh, attempt to administer the kiss to an innocent boy, completely out of control. No, no, I'll, I'll have them packed off back to Azkaban tonight. Uh, perhaps we should think about dragons at the school entrance. Hagrid would like that, said Dumbledore, with a swift smile at Harry and Hermione. As he and Fudge left the dormitory, Madame Pomfrey hurried to the door and locked it again. Muttering angrily to herself, she headed back to her office. There was a low moan from the other end of the ward. Ron had woken up. I could see him sitting up, rubbing his head, looking around. What? Ah, oh, what happened? He groaned. Harry! Why are we in here? Where's Sirius? Where's Lupin? What's going on? Harry and Hermione looked at each other. Oh, you explain, said Harry, helping himself to some chocolate. When Harry, Ron, and Hermione left the hospital wing at noon the next day, it was to find an almost deserted castle. The sweltering heat at the end of the exams meant that everyone was taking full advantage of another Hogsmeade visit. Neither Ron nor Hermione felt like going, however, so they and Harry wandered onto the grounds, still talking about the extraordinary events of the previous night and wondering where Sirius and Buckbeak were now. Sitting near the lake, Watching the giant squid waving its tentacles lazily above the water, Harry lost the thread of the conversation as he looked across to the opposite bank. The stag had galloped toward him from there just last night. A shadow fell across them, and they looked up to see a very bleary-eyed Hagrid, mopping his sweaty face with one of his tablecloth-sized handkerchiefs and be pretending to look curious. Beaky! He escaped! He's free! I've been celebrating all night! That's wonderful, said Hermione, giving Ron a reproving look because he looked as though he were close to laughing. Yep, I can't have tied him up properly, said Hagrid, gazing happily out over the grounds. I was worried this morning, mind. Thought he might have met Professor Lupin out on the grounds, but Lupin says he never ate anything last night. Ah, uh, what? said Harry quickly. Blimey, you haven't heard, said Hagrid, his smile fading a little. 
He lowered his voice, even though there was nobody in sight. Eh, Snape told all the Slytherins this morning. I thought everyone would know by now. Eh, Professor Lupin's a werewolf, see, and he was loose on the grounds last night. He's packing now, of course. He's packing, said Harry, alarmed. Why? He's leaving, isn't he? said Hagrid, looking surprised that Harry had to ask. He resigned first thing this morning. He says he can't risk it happening again. Harry scrambled to his feet. I'm going to see him, he said to Ron and Hermione. But if he's resigned... Doesn't sound like there's anything that we can do. I don't care. I still want to see him. I'll meet you back here. Lupin's office door was open. He had already packed most of his things. The Grindylow's empty tank stood next to his battered old suitcase, which was open and nearly full. Lupin was bending over something on his desk and looked up only when Harry knocked on the door. I saw you coming, said Lupin, smiling. He pointed to the parchment he'd been poring over. It was the Marauder's Map. I just saw Hagrid, said Harry, and he said that you'd resigned. It's not true, is it? I'm afraid that it is, said Dumbledore. What? said Lupin. He started opening drawers and taking out the contents. Why? said Harry. The Ministry of Magic didn't think you were helping Sirius, did they? Lupin crossed to the door and closed it behind Harry. No, Professor Dumbledore managed to convince Fudge that I was trying to save your lives. He sighed. That was the final straw for Severus. I think the loss of the Order of Merlin hit him hard. So, he accidentally let slip that I'm a werewolf this morning at breakfast. You're not leaving just because of that, said Harry. Lupin smiled wryly. <sighs> this time tomorrow, the owls will start arriving from parents. They will not want a werewolf teaching their children, Harry. After last night, I see their point. I, I could have bitten any of you. That must never happen again. You're the best defense against the dark arts teacher we've ever had, said Harry. Don't go. Lupin shook his head and didn't speak. Carried on emptying his drawers. Then, while Harry was trying to think of a good argument to make him stay, Lupin said, From what the headmaster told me this morning, you saved a lot of lives last night, Harry. If I'm proud of anything, it's how much you've learned. Tell me about your Patronus. How did you know about that? said Harry, distracted. 
What else could have driven the Dementors back? Harry told Lupin what had happened. When he finished, Lupin was smiling again. Yes, your father was always a stag when he transformed, he said. You guessed right. That's why we call him Prongs. Lupin threw his last few books into his case, closed the desk drawers, and turned to look at Harry. Here, I brought this from the Shrieking Shack last night, he said, handing Harry back the invisibility cloak. And... He hesitated. Then held out the Marauder's Map, too. I'm no longer your teacher, so I don't feel guilty about giving you this back as well. It's no use to me, and I dare say that you, Ron, and Hermione will find uses for it. Harry took the map and grinned. You told me that Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs would have wanted to lure me out to the school. You said they'd have thought it was funny. <laughs> and so we would have, said Lupin now reaching down to close his case. I have no hesitation in saying that James would have been highly disappointed if his son was never found... Oh, if his son had never found out any of the secret passages out of the school. There was a knock on the door. Harry hastily stuffed the Marauder's Map and the Invisibility Cloak into his pocket. It was Professor Dumbledore. He didn't look surprised to see Harry there. Your carriage is at the gate, Remus, he said. Thank you, Headmaster. Lupin picked up his old suitcase in the empty Grindylow tank. Well, goodbye, Harry, he said, smiling. It has been a real pleasure teaching you. I feel sure that we'll meet again sometime. Headmaster, there is no need to see me to the gates. I can manage. Harry had the impression that Lupin wanted to leave as quickly as possible. Goodbye then, Remus, said Dumbledore soberly. Lupin shifted the Grindylow tank slightly so that he and Dumbledore could shake hands. Then, with a final nod to Harry and a swift smile, Lupin left the office. Harry sat down in his vacated chair, staring glumly at the floor. He heard the door close and looked up. Dumbledore was still there. Why so miserable, Harry? he said quietly. You should be very proud of yourself after last night. It didn't make any difference, said Harry bitterly. Pettigrew got away. Didn't make any difference, said Dumbledore quietly. It made all the difference in the world, Harry. You helped uncover the truth. You saved an innocent man from a terrible fate. Terrible. Something stirred in Harry's mind, greater and more terrible than ever before. 
Professor Trelawney's prediction. Professor Dumbledore, yesterday, when I was having my divination exam, Professor Trelawney went very, very strange. Indeed, said Dumbledore. Um, stranger than usual, you mean? Yes, her voice went all deep, and her eyes rolled back, and she said she said that Voldemort's servant was going to set out to return to him before midnight. She said the servant would help him come back, back to power. Harry stared up at Dumbledore. Then she sort of became normal again. She couldn't remember anything she said. Was it? Was she making a real prediction? Dumbledore looked mildly impressed. Do you know, Harry, I think she might have been, he said thoughtfully. Who'd have thought it? That brings her total of real predictions up to two. I should offer her a pay raise. But... Harry looked at him, aghast. How could Dumbledore take this so calmly? But I stopped Sirius and Professor Lupin from killing Pettigrew. That makes it my fault if Voldemort ever comes back. It does not, said Dumbledore quietly. Hasn't your experience with the Time-Turner taught you anything, Harry? The consequences of our actions are always so complicated, so diverse, that predicting the future is a very difficult business indeed. Professor Trelawney, bless her, is the proof of that. You did a very noble thing in saving Pettigrew's life. But if he helps Voldemort get back to power... Pettigrew owes his life to you. You have sent Voldemort a deputy who is in your debt. When one wizard saves another wizard's life, it creates a certain bond between them. And I am very much mistaken. Voldemort wants his servant in the debt of Harry Potter. I don't want a bond with Pettigrew, said Harry. He betrayed my parents. This is magic at its deepest, its most impenetrable, Harry. But trust me, the time may come when you will be very glad that you have saved Pettigrew's life. Harry couldn't imagine when that would be. Dumbledore looked as though he knew what Harry was thinking. I knew your father very well, both at Hogwarts and later, Harry, he said gently. He would have saved Pettigrew too. I'm sure of it. Harry looked up at him. Dumbledore wouldn't laugh. He could tell Dumbledore. Last night... I thought that it was my dad who'd conjured my Patronus. I mean, when I saw myself across the lake, I thought I was seeing him. An easy mistake to make, said Dumbledore softly. I expect that you will tire of hearing it, but you do look extraordinarily like James. Except for the eyes. You have your mother's eyes. Harry shook his head. It was stupid, thinking it was him. 
he muttered. I mean, I knew he was dead. You think the dead we have loved ever truly leave us? You think that we don't recall them more clearly than ever in times of great trouble? Your father is alive in you, Harry, and shows himself most plainly when you have need of him. How else could you produce how else could you produce that particular Patronus? Prongs rode again last night. It took a moment for Harry to realize what Dumbledore had said. Last night Sirius told me all about how they became animagi, said Dumbledore, smiling. An extraordinary achievement, not least keeping it from me. And then I remembered the most unusual form that your Patronus took when it charged Mr. Malfoy down at your Quidditch match last... Uh, oh, when it charged Mr. Malfoy down at your Quidditch match against Ravenclaw. So you did see your father last night, Harry. You found him inside yourself. And Dumbledore left the office, leaving Harry to his very confused thoughts. Nobody at Hogwarts knew the truth of what had happened last night. The night that Sirius, Buckbeak, and Pettigrew had vanished. Oh, not last night. Nobody knew what had happened the night that Sirius, Buckbeak, and Pettigrew had vanished, except Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Professor Dumbledore. As the end of term approached, Harry heard many different theories about what had really happened, but none of them came close to the truth. Malfoy was furious about Buckbeak. He was convinced that Hagrid had found a way of smuggling the Hippogriff to safety and seemed outraged that he and his father had been outwitted by a gameskeeper. I did it again, it's just gamekeeper. Percy Weasley, meanwhile, had much to say on the subject of Sirius's escape. If I manage to get into the Ministry, I'll have a lot of proposals to make about magical law enforcement, he told the only person who would listen, his girlfriend, Penelope. Though the weather was perfect, though the atmosphere was so cheerful, though he knew they had achieved the near impossible in helping Sirius to freedom, Harry had never approached the end of term in worse spirits. He certainly wasn't the only one who was sorry to see Professor Lupin go. The whole of Harry's defense against the dark arts class was miserable about his resignation. "'We wonder who they'll give us next year,' said Seamus Finnegan gloomily. "'Maybe a vampire,' suggested Dean Thomas hopefully. "'That's not quite Dean Thomas, but you get the point. "'It wasn't only Lupin's departure that was weighing on Harry's mind. "'He couldn't help thinking a lot about Professor Trelawney's prediction. "'He kept wondering where Pettigrew was now, "'whether he had sought sanctuary with Voldemort yet.' But the thing that was lowering Harry's spirits most of all was the prospect of returning to the Dursleys. For maybe half an hour, a glorious, glorious half an hour, 
It believed he would be living with Sirius from now on. Parent's best friend. It would have been the next best thing to having his own father back. And while no news of Sirius was definitely good news, because it meant that he had successfully gone into hiding, Harry couldn't help feeling miserable when he thought of the home that he might have had, and the fact that it was now impossible. The exam results came out on the last day of term. Harry, Ron, and Hermione had passed every subject. Harry was amazed that he had got through potions. He had a shrewd suspicion that Dumbledore might have stepped in to stop Snape failing him on purpose. Snape's behavior toward Harry over the past week had been quite alarming. Harry wouldn't have thought it possible that Snape's dislike for him could increase, but it certainly had. A muscle twitched unpleasantly at the corner of Snape's thin mouth every time he looked at Harry. And he was constantly flexing his fingers, as though itching to place them around Harry's throat. Percy had got his top-grade N.E.W.T.s. Fred and George had scraped a handful of O.W.L.s each. Gryffindor House, meanwhile, largely thanks to their spectacular performance in the Quidditch Cup, had won the House Championship for the third year running. This meant that the end-of-term feast took place amid decorations of scarlet and gold, and that the Gryffindor table was the noisiest of the lot, as everybody celebrated. Even Harry managed to forget about the journey back to the Dursleys the next day, as he ate, drank, talked, and laughed with the rest. As the Hogwarts Express pulled out of the station the next morning, Hermione gave Harry and Ron some surprising news. I went to see Professor McGonagall this morning, just before breakfast. I have decided to drop Muggle studies. But you passed your exam with 320. But you passed your exam with 320%, said Ron. I know, sighed Hermione. I can't stand having another year like that one. That time turn, it was driving me mad. I've handed it in. Without Muggle Studies and Divination, I'll be able to have a normal schedule again. I still can't believe you didn't tell us about it, said Ron grumpily. We're supposed to be your friends. I promised I wouldn't tell anyone, said Hermione severely. She looked around at Harry, who was watching Hogwarts disappear from view behind a mountain two whole months before he'd see it again. Oh, cheer up, Harry, said Hermione sadly. I'm okay, said Harry quickly, just thinking about the holidays. Yeah, I've been thinking about them too, said Ron. Harry, you've got to come stay with us. I'll fix it up with Mum and Dad, then I'll call you. I know how to use that felly tone now. Telephone, Ron, said Hermione. Honestly, you should take Muggle Studies next year. Ron ignored her. It's the Quidditch World Cup this summer. How about it, Harry? Come and stay and we'll go see it. Dad can usually get tickets from work. This proposal had the effect of cheering Harry up a great deal. Yeah, I'll bet the Dursleys would be pleased to let me come. Especially after what I did to Aunt Marge. 
feeling considerably more cheerful. Harry joined Ron and Hermione in several games of exploding snap, and when the witch with the tea cart arrived, he bought himself a very large lunch, though nothing with chocolate in it. But it was late in the afternoon before the thing that made him truly happy turned up. Harry, said Hermione suddenly, peering over his shoulder, what's that thing outside your window? Harry turned to look outside. Something very small and gray was bobbing in and out of sight beyond the glass. He stood up for a better look and saw that it was a tiny owl, carrying a letter that was much too big for it. The owl was so small, in fact, that it kept tumbling over in the air, buffeting this way and that in the train's slipstream. Harry quickly pulled down the window, stretched out his arm, and caught it. It felt like a very fluffy snitch. He brought it inside carefully. The owl dropped its letter into Harry's seat and began zooming around their compartment, apparently very pleased with itself for accomplishing its task. Hedwig clicked her beak with a sort of dignified disapproval. Crookshank sat up in his seat, following the owl with its great yellow eyes. Ron, noticing this, snatched the owl safely out of harm's way. Harry picked up the letter. It was addressed to him. He ripped open the letter and shouted, It's from Sirius! What? said Ron and Hermione excitedly. Read it aloud. Dear Harry, I hope this finds you before you reach your aunt and uncle. I don't know whether they're used to owl post. Buckbeak and I are in hiding. I won't tell you where in case this falls into the wrong hands. I've got some doubt about the owl's reliability, but he's the best that I could find. And he did seem eager for the job. I believe the Dementors are still searching for me, but they haven't a hope of finding me here. I'm planning to allow some muggles to glimpse me soon, a long way from Hogwarts, so that the security on the castle will be lifted. There's something that I never got around to telling you during our brief meeting. It was I who sent you the Firebolt. Ha! said Hermione triumphantly. See, I told you it was from him! Yeah, but he hadn't jinxed it, had he? said Ron. Ouch! The tiny owl, now hooting happily from his hand, had nibbled on one of his fingers in what it seemed to think was an affectionate way. Harry continued reading. Crookshanks took the order to the owl office for me. I used your name, but I told them to take the gold from Gringotts Vault number 711. My own. Please consider it as 13 birthdays worth, from, worth of presents from your grandfather. Dang it. Please consider it as 13 birthdays worth of presents from your godfather. I would also like to apologize for the fright I think I gave you that night last year when you left your uncle's house. I only had hoped to get a glimpse of you before starting my journey north, but I think the sight of you, the sight of me alarmed you. I'm enclosing something else for you which I think will make your next year at Hogwarts more enjoyable. If you ever need me, send word. Your owl will find me. I'll write again soon. Serious. Harry looked eagerly inside the envelope. There was another piece of parchment in there. He read it through quickly and felt suddenly as warm and contented as though he'd swallowed a bottle of hot butterbeer in one gulp. I, Sirius Black, Harry Potter's godfather, hereby give him permission to visit Hogsmeade on weekends. 
That'll be good enough for Dumbledore, said Harry happily. He looked back at Sirius's letter. Hang on, there's a P.S. I thought your friend Ron might like to keep this owl, as it's my fault he's no longer got a rat. Ron's eyes widened. The minute owl was still hooting excitedly. Keep him? He said uncertainly. He looked closely at the owl for a moment. Then, to Harry and Hermione's great surprise, he held it out before Crookshanks for him to sniff. What's you reckon? Ron asked the cat. Definitely an owl? Crookshanks purred. That's good enough for me, said Ron happily. He's mine. Harry read and reread the letter from Sirius all the way back to King's Cross Station. It was still clutched tightly in his hands as he, Ron, and Hermione stepped back through the barrier of Platform 9 and 3 quarters. Harry spotted Uncle Vernon at once. He was standing a good distance away from Mr. and Mrs. Weasley, eyeing them, though. Oh, eyeing them suspiciously. And when Mrs. Weasley hugged Harry in greeting, his worst suspicions about them seemed confirmed. I'll call you about the World Cup, Ron yelled after Harry, as Harry bid him and Hermione goodbye, then wheeled the trolley bearing his trunk and Hedwig's cage toward Uncle Vernon, who greeted him in his usual fashion. He was my mum and dad's best friend. He's a convicted murderer, but he's broken out of wizard prison and he's on the run. He likes to keep in touch with me. Likes to, uh, keep up with my news. Check if I'm happy. And, grinning broadly at the look of horror on Uncle Vernon's face, Harry set off toward the station exit, Hedwig rattling along in front of him for what looked like a much better summer than the last. Wonderful people. That is the end of book three. We have made it so far doing this together, and we've picked people up along the way. The sidecar is uh, getting crowded, but I like it. I always like a crowded sidecar. Uh, brum brum, everybody. Thank you all so much for joining me. Um, I hope you have a fantastic week. I'm going to see you back here at the same time for the beginning of the next book. Book four! We made it to book four! Can you believe that? That means we're over halfway. Oh, man, look at what this does to my teeth. Ech. That's right, I just won't smile. I'm going to be very serious. Yeah, goofy. I also think that barring, you know, uh, major technical difficulties, this has been our longest stream ever. And I realize there have been some technical difficulties up here. Um, actually, I'm going to be moving very soon. And um, depending on what a situation is like, it might be nice to have uh, some solid internet. So we'll see what happens. We'll see how it works out. But uh, it's been so much fun. Because we've gone so much over time, I don't think I'm going to do much discussion as uh, uh, at the end of this one. I think we're going to call it here. But thank you so much for watching. Thank you so much for listening. Um, for anybody who doesn't know what this is, joining up late, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. And I really appreciate you listening. I'm stoked for the next book. I'm so stoked. Um, 
I really enjoy um I really enjoy book four. As I've said before, book five is my favorite. So we are getting close. We're getting close. But uh yeah, it's good to see you guys. Good to see you guys in chat. I love you. Have a great week. And I will see you next time.